Welcome to the Airline Weekly Lounge. I'm your host, Edward Russell, and I'm joined this week by my colleague, Jay Shabat, to discuss Lufthansa's attempts to boost margins through consolidation and the U.S. Sustainable Aviation Fuel Incentives in the Inflation Reduction Act. Thank you and enjoy. Hey, Jay, how are you doing today? Good, Ned. How are you? Doing well, doing well. We're, uh, we're coming out of earnings season and, and moving into the uh, you know, quiet days of August when many people go on holiday. So it's, uh, it's nice. It gives us some time to do some, uh, some, some of our own reporting. Yes, and I was just making the uh, the point today in something I was writing about. Uh, there, there's a Turkish airline, Pegasus, that that reported. And uh, one thing about August, <laughs> you bring it up, it's uh, it's actually a very very busy uh, month for leisure travel in in Europe. A lot of people. It's not it's not uncommon for people to take uh, you know a week or two two off at the end uh, of August. In the U.S., it's very different. In the U.S., a lot of schools are already reopened. Um, not where we are in the Northeast, but uh, but much of the country's schools are you know already open, so leisure travel tends to tail off. It's almost uh, you know for some for a lot of markets, it's already starting to look more of like a fall type uh, you know demand profile. Right, but U.S. airlines still have one more big weekend to look for. We've got Labor Day coming up at the beginning of September, so and there will be a boom in travel. But you're right, August is not uh, the peak time. Uh, for U.S. airlines, that it is for European carriers, for sure. European leisure carriers, right, right, and yeah, and good point about Labor Day. That's always a big one. Absolutely. So today we're going to talk about a the feature you wrote in Airline Weekly this week on Lufthansa and their sort of need to consolidate. Yeah, Ned. So um, I I want to start by just uh, making the distinction between the structure of the European airline industry and the airline industry in the United States. Um, they've really diverged a lot. They're very different. In the U.S., you essentially have 11 airlines, and you have four giant ones, you know, American, United, Delta, and Southwest that sort of, you know, dominate the domestic scene. And, uh, you know, three of those, obviously, United, American, Delta are, are the only really U.S. players when it comes to intercontinental markets. Uh, and then you have, you know, certain few airlines that kind of very, very uh, kind of relegated to, to very specific markets. You know, you have your Hawaiian Airlines is is focused on Hawaii and, you know, Sun Country and Allegiant kind of do their own thing. They have very, very unique business models. They more or less don't, you know, cross paths as too many others. Um, so, so it's a very consolidated industry. Now, of course, we've got the JetBlue Spirit merger, assuming that happens, uh, that, that takes away another airline. So very, very consolidated. Europe is still very, very fragmented. What you have is three giants, just like in the U.S., three intercontinental giants, you know, IAG, Air France, KLM, and Lufthansa. You have three uh, very large, successful, low-cost carriers, Ryanair, Wizzair, and EasyJet. And then you kind of have uh, kind of a big <laughs> a big mess of, 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 uh, of just, you know, too many, too many carriers to count. Um, right. You, just you know, just of... to, to pause you there. I you know I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I'm always surprised when when you look at I mean just taking the big three network Air France, KLM, IAG, and Lufthansa Group. I mean they control less than half of um of the continent's sort of intra Europe travel. If uh, if I'm not mistaken, right? I mean it's it's hugely different in the U.S. where the big four are eighty percent of the market. Yeah, absolutely, and that that's another huge difference. So if you're if you are United, for example. Um, you can imagine you have a lot of domestic routes that are, you know, very profitable. I mean, you could think of, I don't know, Chicago, San Francisco, or, you know, a market like that. Whereas 
Lufthansa, you just don't have that. I mean, the European carriers don't really have, I mean, everything within Europe is, it tends to be shorter difference, distances, sorry. Because um, remember, like the, the US domestic market has, you know, some very long haul markets, like, you know, you think of the transcons and, and whatnot. Um, so it's just, yeah, very, very, very different. The, the big guys in Europe, the Lufthansa's of the world, they really have to rely on making money intercontinentally. Uh, so it's it's just a very very different situation, and so Lufthansa kind of um, and, and I could you know we could we could talk more about the structure of European airline uh, industry is also it's it's been the recipient of a lot of foreign money that's propped up some some strong carriers frankly like you know Qatar Airways goes in and you know uh, provides capital to IAG but it also provides capital to Air Italy which you know eventually disappeared but. And Etihad, um, we can't forget their their investments yeah. in Alitalia and Air Berlin, uh, Air Serbia. Right. I guess is still flying, but it's uh, you know it, it's there's a very checkered uh, um, record there. Absolutely, and and you know the list goes on. You know with uh, you know David Nealman invests in Tap Air Portugal and Delta invests in Virgin Atlantic. I mean it's just a lot of foreign money. So and then of course you have the state money, which is which is, plays a much more prominent active role in Europe. Um, you know, even during the pandemic, you know, this is, you know, the greatest, greatest crisis in airline history, you know, how many airlines really disappeared? You know, I don't know, Adria Airways of Slovenia. <laughs> wow. It's, it's so you still, you really have just tremendous amount of fragmentation. So now to the point about Lufthansa, the topic of, of this conversation here in the, in the article that you referred to. Uh, so Lufthansa, you know, looks at this and said, and says, you know, how can we, do something that that approximates what happened in the U.S., where you know consolidation produced a lot of very strong margins for for carriers like United, which is a close Lufthansa partner. Um, so you know Lufthansa, when it comes to consolidation, they've had some success. Uh, most notably, when they bought Swiss in 2005, I think it was um, very very successful. That that absolutely added to the bottom line. Um, now it's you know Swiss is a relatively small carrier. So it's not like you know United and Continental merging by any means, um, but it's helpful. Now, on and the other side, a carrier that has a minimal domestic market as well, we should say. So they're not, you know, it's yep. not like bringing on Air France with a huge domestic market. So that's beside the point. <laughs> no, no, that's a good point. And then also um, on the on the other side of the coin, Lufthansa has, you know, kind of stumbled into mergers that really haven't worked so well. And you know, Austrian has been been a big headache. Uh, Brussels Airlines they purchased. You know, on, on the face of it, they they have some attractive routes to Africa, but that's been you know nothing but money losing. Um, Eurowings wasn't was really a merger, but that was kind of a way to uh, you know um, to compete with some of the lower cost carriers, and that's been you know it seems like every six weeks they have a new restructuring program there, um, and it never nothing ever seems to work. So you know the latest is now they're you know Eurowings Discover we're going to put it in Frankfurt and you know fly it to Tampa or whatever, and we'll see how that works, but. It's um, there's no no real obvious uh, you know answers. Um, consolidation it doesn't seem is going to provide the same sort of lift in Europe as it did in the U.S. Right, and because you know I mean part of the problem is they're still flying all these separate brands, which is necessary arguably because of of Europe. I mean Europe is still multiple countries, whereas the U.S. is one. Um, but yeah, and that know, creates yeah. more complexity, of course. That For that's sure. the downside of that. Yeah, so there, there's. Yeah, um, it's you. Uh, you know, you have the separate brands, which 
you know, may, may play well, uh, you know, a Swiss brand in Switzerland may be better, better than a, you know, you wouldn't want to put Brussels Airlines, say there. But, uh, but yeah, it's, 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 Lufthansa is a very complex organization to run. Absolutely. So what are they looking at now? Well, what they have going for them is, uh, you know, cargo is just printing money for them right now. And that was really the difference between, uh, you know, a profit and a loss for them in the second quarter. Now, Swiss did very well, too. Swiss, incidentally, is, um, along with KLM, those two airlines are the most profitable airline brands in Europe in the second quarter, even more profitable than Ryanair. So Swiss Air, as usual, is doing fantastically well. Now they're trying, as I mentioned, they're trying to, you know, restructure Eurowings. They are trying to get their fleet. They've made a lot. Lufthansa is an airline that's made a lot of mistakes when it comes to fleet management in the past. And you can, you know, that's kind of another, you could read about it in the, uh, uh, in the, you know, in the issue, in the article. Um, but, you know, just to give you an example, they, you know, were kind of laid on, uh, whereas Air France was very successful in, uh, in, in um, using the 777-300ER, Lufthansa kind of stuck with four injured aircraft too long. They ordered, you know, A340s very late into the game, and then, they, you know, the 747 passenger versions. And, of course, like Air France, they ordered A380s. I guess they didn't have too much of a choice on that when, you know, Germany is <laughs> the uh, the, uh, the big bagger of Airbus. But um, uh, so so they're trying to get their fleet right. And, um, you know, they're, 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 they've got A350s and Dreamliners, uh, you know, either, either already here or coming. And that's, you know, that seems to be the right move. Um, you know, we'll see. Uh, Ned and I were just before this, uh, before we turned the recorder on, we were talking about the Boeing's new 777. They did order that. And there's some, you know, questions about whether or not that's going to be a successful aircraft. So, you know, question mark there. But uh, but they do have, you know, certain initiatives um, uh, to, to try to help them, you know, get back on uh, to, to, to build their margins. And in terms of, you know, coming back to the topic of consolidation, uh, they have the decision now of whether to buy ITA, which is a successor of Alitalia. They've been, you know, kicking the tires at Alitalia for for years now, and uh, they really they only want to do it if they can, you know, get it. Um, you know, they they don't want to have to do the restructuring themselves. They want it to, you know, they want it. They want to buy it with the labor costs already, you know, restructured and the the network already structured and all that. So we'll see. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of politics involved in that as well, whether the Italian government would agree to anything. Um, but the interesting sort of potential there is Alitalia has always been a very, um, a rather important market for SkyTeam and Air France KLM. Air France actually owned um, a big chunk of Alitalia for a long time. And um, it's, it, it's you know, never, it, it was always kind of an albatross because it, it lost money. Um, so they eventually got rid of, rid of their stake. But it does provide a lot of lucrative traffic, especially in north of Italy, which is, you know, you have some very wealthy regions up there, some wealthy and corporations. And forget that Italy is the third largest domestic market within the EU. So it's, mm-hmm. Italy itself is, is not to, to be dis- fully dismissed. It's, it's a large yeah. market in and of itself. Yeah, yeah, with global companies. And uh, yeah, isn't it? I don't know what it ranks. You know, there's maybe fifth or sixth largest economy in the world. Does that sound right? Not sure. Maybe Ooh, that's a little bit that's, high that's pretty high, but I, I don't know about the economy, but um, I, I do know the market's pretty big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I mean, Germany is what the fourth uh, largest in the world. Yeah, it's probably probably little. I don't know, maybe more like tenth or eleventh. But but in any case, I mean, that's you know, it's big. <laughs> so and you got you got a lot of companies that 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 uh, spend a lot of money on travel. So Lufthansa could potentially uh, kind of redivert a lot of that, you know, particularly northern Italian corporate traffic 
away from hubs like Paris and Amsterdam into hubs like Munich, especially, but also Frankfurt. Uh, and that could could be worthwhile. But, you know, do you want to that also comes with potential headaches, as as you can imagine, you know, as they found out when they bought Austrian and, and Brussels Airlines, whatnot, you know, you've got you've got more labor complexity, you've got political complexity and so on. So, right. Right. And the sale um, of IT yeah. right now is delayed by the latest in Italy's uh, political um, sort of dysfunction with the, the prime minister, I think, has stepped down or is a caretaker prime minister now until elections occur. So the, the decision is is supposedly happening. But again, it's Italy. I'll believe it when I see it. <laughs> you wonder which is more frequent, a Eurowings restructuring or a new Italian prime minister? <laughs> <laughs> so true. All right, Jay, let's take a quick break and, and we'll come back uh, yeah, in a minute. And we're back. Jay, you just shared some you know, fascinating insights into the consolidation going on in Europe and what's up with Lufthansa. Let's uh, jump across the pond to the U.S. And uh, some of, you know, there's some movement on some sustainable aviation fuel uh, incentives here. Yeah, yeah. And, and Ned, you wrote about uh, the, the new legislation that, that just passed. Uh, and uh, yeah, you can tell us about that. There's some, you know, is this Essentially, a climate bill, I think, is 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 pretty accurate way to uh, to characterize it. And uh, aviation um, has has uh, yeah, there's there's some aviation aspects in it. Right. So the Inflation Reduction Act, which was uh, you know sort of passed at the eleventh hour after a deal with Senator uh, Joe Manchin of West Virginia, it was passed and then signed into law by Biden on Tuesday, the sixteenth of August includes some of the first U.S. incentives for sustainable aviation fuel, which the airline industry universally agrees is probably the easiest and most quick uh, path to cutting emissions. The incentives uh, go up to $1.75 a gallon uh, for SAF, and they last through 2027. Though some of them are for blenders, some of them are for producers. These basically these incentives, these credits will not be going to airlines. They'll be going to the people supplying them or uh, transporting the the SAF. So it's it's great news in the U.S. But you know, for what it's worth, it's not what everyone had hoped. Uh, but again, that's the political process. Initial proposals had called for incentives up to two dollars per gallon and to go through 2031. So they're a little bit lower and a little bit, uh, they, they don't last quite as long. And Raymond James's energy analyst, you know, they wrote that it's, you know, there's expectation that airlines will pick up the extra cost, that extra 25 cents, so to speak. I mean, that remains to be seen, but the air, the industry is, is uniformly applauding the move. You know, again, it's some of the first US incentives for SAF. And that's uh, that's it's not something to be taken lightly, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's something that the that the airline industry has has pushed for. You know, so some help with. And just as background, I mean, uh, you know, stating the obvious here, but you know, airlines are under heavy pressure to cut their carbon emissions. Um, and the problem is, is that the uh, you know traditional jet fuel derived from fossil fuels is still the by far the most economical uh, fuel that you know, that you can use to power their aircraft. Um, you know, battery technology is just, you know, anybody you talk to said that's that's not going to work for any any time, any soon. Uh, it's it's just, it would be too heavy in an aircraft. Um, it's right. Not, you know, yeah. at best, we're hoping for you know, commuter aircraft, nine, 19 seats to be flown with yeah. batteries mm -hmm. or 
maybe hybrid electric propulsion systems by the end of the decade. I mean, it's, and that's, you know, we're not nothing close to the intercontinental aircraft that, that really need to you know, cut emissions. No battery powered wide bodies anytime soon. No. And so, yeah, and there's, you know, long-term hydrogen power plane stuff, but that, that's talking very long-term. So the interim solution is, uh, well, maybe we can get some sort of, you know, SAF, sustainable aviation fuels, as, as Ned mentioned, you know, cleaner, cleaner fuels. And uh, the, you know, this legislation um, is uh, perhaps, um, you know, will bridge the cost gap. You know, it's, it's, they're still going to be more expensive than traditional fuel, but, you know, these, these sort of government credits incentives can help. Now, now Ned in, the, in his article um, did a very interesting contrast between the policy that the U.S. is taking versus the policy that the European Union is taking. Maybe you can talk about that a little bit. Right. So the EU is moving forward with their refuel EU plan, which would boost SAF uh, usage there in the block. And, you know, like Jay said, interestingly, they are going forward with sort of the proverbial stick, uh, a mandate that airlines use at least 6% of SAF. Their fuel is 6% SAF by 2030, anywhere in the block. So it's it's interesting, the divergence in, in the policies. So I don't think the EU has implemented any sort of penalties for this yet if they don't meet those 6% targets. But it's I, I was reading an interesting McKinsey report on the decarbonization of aviation. And McKinsey says you know, both policies are really needed to achieve the aviation industry's goal of net zero emissions by 2050. They need the financial incentives that to really make uh, SAF economically or affordable compared to jet a like you said but they also need mandates to make sure airlines are making the switch to saf uh over over this period so it's it's interesting the eu from everyone i speak to is probably going to move on financial incentives uh in the next uh, soon uh after they get their mandates but i don't hear anything in the u.s about implementing mandates of course the u.s is more of a, a the we're traditionally a country that likes to go with uh with just um go with, you know, let the free market decide rather than mandating it. So that could be part of it. But this is going to be interesting to see which, uh, which policy moves airlines towards SAF faster, whether it's going to be just the U.S. incentives or it's going to be the, U- the EU mandates. That's a, it's a question that we're going to have to watch over the next few years. Yeah. And, and important, um, also another important point is that uh, the, um, one, of the, one of the issues right now besides cost is just quantity of supply. And what some airlines will say is, you know, even if we wanted to, you know, fill up all of our planes with SAF, power them all by, uh, you know, biofuels or whatever, we, we, we just couldn't do it because there's just not enough quantity out there. And some of these incentives or, you know, in your case, the, the mandates, um, they, they could potentially, I mean, the idea is also not just to lower the costs uh, for the airlines purchasing them, but also to uh, create more production, you know, stimulate more production so that you do have sufficient quantities where you can, you know, sort of make SAF a uh, a larger, you know, a meaningful percentage of the overall fuel that's that's currently used. Right, and that's a big part of these incentives, and and sort of the hope is that if the government steps in and helps get SAF uh, production scaled and and growing in these first few years, that once it hits a certain threshold, and and that threshold is not very clear. Uh, it can grow. It'll it'll have achieved the uh, mass to keep growing. You know, the sort of you know, to go on its own without further incentives, and that is the hope. It's it's there's a lot of proposals out there, but I don't. You know, I've been covering SAF for years, and 
It's taken years to get what few proposals came out in 2014 or 2013 done. I mean, some of them aren't even being fulfilled yet. So it's there's a long way to go. That's for sure. I mean, it just, yeah, and it just it just kind of hits on the larger kind of conundrum that the whole world is in right now is that it's very hard to find anything that's more cost efficient than fossil fuel energy. I mean, it just fossil fuel energy is just this incredibly, uh, you know, powerful economic resource, um, but it's also cooking the planet. And, you know, what do you do? It's just that's like one of the central conundrum of our times, I guess. Absolutely. Now, if you want to learn more about SAF and what's happening at US and EU, please read the issue of Airline Weekly that's coming out on Monday. And I want to say thank you, Jay, for joining us today. Uh, listeners, if you want to get in touch with myself, uh, please email me at er at skiff.com or jshabat at js at skiff.com. Thanks again and have a good one. Thanks, Ned, and thanks everyone for listening. Bye. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge podcast. Check out airlineweekly.com for a new issue every Monday and updates on the latest airline news throughout the week. <laughs>